Hi folks, and thanks for listening to this Tortoise Shack podcast. Just before we start, a little bit of housekeeping. The Tortoise Shack relies on listeners. It has no ads, no sponsors, and it relies on you. If you're listening, we need you to put your hand in your pocket and pay it forward to keep this project on the road. The only way we do that is via the Patreon model. And it's really simple. You just click the link that's in the podcast right now that you're listening to, and you pick a level that you're happy enough to support us at, and you keep the show on the road. There are thousands of people listening, which is incredible, really, when you think about it. We're like the tortoise shack itself. We have we came from nowhere. We were literally a couple of lads with an iPad, and now we're a network of podcasts, different whether it's Echo, Reboot, Glow West, Policed, Built Different, Shrapnel, and there's two more in the works. It's just it's just fantastic to see the work that's been done, but it doesn't happen without your support. And I'd really appreciate it while you're listening, click on the link and see if there's a level that you're happy to support us at. We know it's hard out there. We're finding it very, very hard, I'll be honest with you. It's a difficult time for us. It's really, really difficult. And the only way we keep this going is if you help us keep the show on the road, the mics on, and the conversations happening. Thanks for listening. Thanks for the support. Thanks for t- spreading the word. It's it's unbelievable. As I said, it's unbelievable that that an audience has found us because we don't have a budget for for adverts or we don't appear on much of mainstream media, and that's down to word of mouth. And we really appreciate it. But one more time, patreon.com forward slash tortoise and I won't delay any further. Enjoy the podcast. <laughs> Welcome to Reboot Republic, the podcast that goes behind the headlines and looks at the big issues in this republic of inequality. We are the podcast of solutions and the podcast of hope, and I'm your host, Rory Hearn. And today on the pod, we're talking to David Carroll, who is the CEO of DePaul, um, and DePaul provide homeless services to many groups and individuals, and we're going to talk about it uh, with David and his own background and what brought him to work in this area um, and also about uh, listeners are probably familiar as well that I'm doing the marathon on running the Dublin Marathon on this coming Sunday. Um, and it will be a total of 26.2 miles um, and I will be feeling every every mile of it. Um, but I'm running it to raise funds for DePaul um, and you can go over to just giving forward slash uh, Rory Hearn and it, you can donate to DePaul there um, in terms of that. And if you are around Dublin on the day, give us a shout out um, or throw something at me or whatever you want to do. Um, but listen, looking forward to it. Um, so, David, listen, thanks so much for joining us today on Reboot Republic. Thanks, Rory. I just want to say that um, I don't know how you've managed to fit in a marathon, write a book teach, uh, broadcast, and be one of our major advocates around housing and homelessness. Um, so we're really, really appreciative of the fact that you're doing the, the marathon on our behalf, because obviously we're, we're in a hugely difficult uh, situation in terms of um, the, the, the wider housing issue. And, you know, uh, your, your contributions are hugely grateful. We're hugely grateful for it. So thanks a million. Uh, thanks, David. I appreciate that. And um, well, do you know what? To be honest, the running um, is something that uh, keeps me sort of, I suppose, on the, the straight and narrow and gives me when you're doing all this stuff as you know yourself, you know, it's tough. It's tough. You know, so you feel so much. We feel so much for the families, for the individuals, for everyone who's suffering in homelessness and housing exclusion. And 
the running for me, I suppose it's a bit of an escape for a little while in terms of, you know, getting the head straight and trying to keep, it gives me energy. So I, I'm lucky in that, very lucky in that. Um, and so listen, David, obviously we are in a crisis now that is, you know, we've seen nothing like it in this country in terms of homelessness. Um, I, I wanted to start by asking you, because um, it's always, you know, interesting to look at, you know, where what brought you into I suppose, homelessness and working in, in, in the services. And I know you have a background um, in social work and maybe, you know, what brought you to social yeah. work even yeah. at the start? Funny enough, uh, Rory, I was, um, I'm, I'm from East Wall originally. Um, I, I come from the North uh, Eastern city. Yeah. Um, and grew up in a, a, a carpo house, two up, two down, um, with two generations of people, grandparents um, and um, I kind of have this, and I, I developed a, a kind of a, a real innate sense of community. Yeah, a real kind of feeling of the of of that that working class perspective of what of of what what makes things work, what what gets families through um, difficulties in life, you know. Um, yeah, and I think that it was kind of ingrained within within me from the very very start. I, Grew up in a lone parent family. I was actually born in London and came back with two from with in an immigrant family for two Irish parents that went to London. I uh, came back when I was four or five, and I think I yeah from that from that perspective, I think I've always had a focus on on you know social justice and what what make, makes things work, you know. And um, funny enough, I started off. In working in in kind of uh, printing and business development, and very very soon I kind of found out I wasn't very good at it. You know, um, <laughs> right. ended up going down working for St Michael's House as a care assistant. Funny enough, and uh, worked with them for about four years. Cut my teeth, and, and and knew at that point in time that this is the direction that I wanted to go in, and went up then up the north, um, and did my social work qualification back. When at the end of the troubles, I worked in West Belfast and Anderson's Town and yeah. in Turf Lodge in child protection and drugs and alcohol as well. And my three kids are from the north as well. Okay, so I've got a real good sense of of I think um, the, the the challenges for for working class communities um, and 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 that probably is translated into the work w- within the poly. Very, very kind of soon, kind of within my career, wanted to work with people who had the most vulnerable difficulties. Worked within drugs and alcohol services for for a good while, and then found myself working in homelessness. And I've been there for the last fifteen or 20, 12, 20 years now. And you, you you touched on the 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 perspective of look at where we are now. Mm. And I've been reflecting yeah. on this an awful lot. You know, much of what. I've been saying for the past 20 years are pertinent as much now as they were 20 years ago. You know, uh, an affordable, quality, private rented sector, a proper provision of social housing, proper health intervention, proper prevention strategies going into communities. And that's as pertinent 20 years ago as it is now. And that's the probably the huge, huge kind of disappointment of where we're at now, you know, that these, these, these messages that we've been talking about for generations, you know, and I've now come to this particular point in time where we've got a almost like a, a perfect storm. 
And um, I think, you know, going go, going into the winter, we're, we've got 800 beds now, north and south, temporary accommodation beds. Um, this is provided um, by DePaul as... Provided by DePaul, yeah. you know. And, we're, and, and we focus um, a, a lot on low threshold services, which means that we work with kind of individuals and households who have had the greatest complexities um, and... Um, we're 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 really kind of at the 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 forefront of the the most challenging aspect of 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 homelessness. There, there are men, women, and children who who um, are falling into huge kind of difficulties around housing and probably find find it the hardest to get out of homelessness. Yeah, and um, yeah. because of 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 you know maybe long term and and entrenched kind of difficulties. Um, and so going going into this winter, where we're really very much focused on is making sure that the services that we do provide in Dublin, Belfast, Derry, Waterford, Wexford, Cork, um, are, are are robust enough in order to be able to provide the temporary accommodation that's needed at this point in time, because um, you know uh, the you know we we cannot afford very many people going into temporary accommodation you know we've been focusing an awful lot on the ukrainian population in the last couple of days and the international protection population yeah but the third strand of this are people falling into homelessness and um, and clearly um the 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 eviction ban last week um you know the no fault eviction ban It'll be really um, interesting to see whether that's going to make a kind of any kind of key difference to where, where we are at the moment. But um, we have to pull, pull out of all of the stops in the next kind of couple of weeks and months to make sure that the diff- difficulties aren't exacerbated beyond where we are at the moment. You know. Yeah. No. It's really just. I suppose. Yeah. You know, like I know it's it's a tsunami that's that's going on right now, and and it's so many different things have come together, but it is, as you said, you know, structurally it goes back to the utter kind of failure to build social housing. And, you know, when I look back and I was actually talking, my students talked to my students there in class yesterday about, you know, they were asking me like, how did we get here? And, and looking at the, the, literally the numbers of social housing that were built fell off a cliff. They basically stopped being built from 2010 until about 2016, 17, like nothing was built. And it's almost, you know, like this last decade of building. And, and that really matters for the most vulnerable, doesn't it? In terms I do, I'm sorry, because, you know, I, I, I can take a step back, back to 2009, 10, 11. And yeah. When, when I started working in homelessness services in, in Dublin. And believe it or not, at that particular stage, we were talking about closing down temporary accommodation. Really? That there had been... Um, there was a, a whole plan to reconfigure services in Dublin um, where there was going to be a greater focus on community-based interventions, prevention yeah. and, and housing first. And that that kind of period of uh, exactly what you've said of, of that dependency on NAMA, we had built houses in the wrong places mm. in, with the wrong configuration. Yeah. Um, and this we started to see... Difficulties really emerged in 2016, 2017, uh, particularly amongst the single homeless kind of population. Obviously, family homelessness went through the roof at that particular stage as well. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and we saw the you know the introduction of family hubs at that particular stage. Uh, but that 2016, 17 period has you know since then 
and we've been at the kind of at the forefront of 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 trying to intervene with people you know on the ground and 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 kind of trying to understand why people are coming into homelessness as well beyond the economic situation Rory you know yeah, you've played played a huge part in in bringing the focus around generation rent, and but you know what, the the, the homelessness situation has only really come to the forefront when the wider general population has begun to be affected themselves. Mm. It's when people have had adult children at home, um, and 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 can't afford mortgages and can't access the private rented sector, but we have a whole group of people here as well, who always have had a difficulty accessing housing, have yeah. always had a difficulty accessing health, health services. And our specific focus is making sure that that particular group of people um, don't grow uh, in, 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 this, in, in this next couple of months um, and, and are supported um, to be able to kind of literally survive what we're facing at the moment. And how worried about you? How worried are you about that in terms of those most vulnerable, you know, within, as you say, to kind of housing exclusion and housing insecurity and homelessness? You know, in, in the same way, you know, I think we can criticise government for lack of planning. and uh, But I have to say that the, the, the relationship that we have with the local authorities around the provision of kind of emergency accommodation and also as well how the Department of Children have, have responded I think the failures in in terms of provision are structural, um, and um, I'm confident that the plans that we have in place um, with the local authorities will be able to kind of cope with what, what what's coming our way. I think one of the worries that we do have, I think, are, is around the family homelessness space, um, where um, you know uh, a number of weeks ago people were talking about kind of family sleeping rough. That can't happen, and won't happen, and shouldn't happen. Um, and um, but but in the same way that we're, we we have difficulties in finding temporary accommodation for people um, from Ukrainian backgrounds or international protection, that same focus needs to be on the 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 people who who are coming through kind of general housing need within Ireland. Ireland. Um, I know one of the the, the major successes if you want to put it this way around the COVID period yeah was how we all came together and and i think one of the kind of key parts in making sure that the most vulnerable group don't uh, issues aren't exacerbated is hsc and health intervention you know there was an increase in funding there was an increase in complex uh, provision of beds so we're still providing support into a number of hotels that were established um, over the COVID period for people with complex health needs. Um, it's critical that the funding that was provided during COVID for that cohort is maintained. And this is where kind of Housing First has come in as well. And um, because, you know, we've, we were supporting 200 beds over two hotels of people with, with huge kind of complexities, um, you know, um, that have come as a result of, of health deterioration as a result of, of homelessness to a great degree. You know, they're Explain prime that, candidates just... to go into housing first yeah. tenancies. Um, uh, and, you know, at least we have the plans in place for that to occur. Um, Could you again, explain that just to say, sorry, just to pause you for a second yeah. there. The um, Oh my God, I'm using the language of my kids when they say pause everything. 
<laughs> pause it there. Pause the TV. Pause this. Pause that. You talk to humans now as pausing. I'm taking a <laughs> watch that. The kids go, pause daddy. Pause a minute. I'm like, what? Uh, pause, David, a second. Um, no, I, I was going to ask you, 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 what you said there struck me because it's something we have talked about before to um, Clean and Calic from St. James's um, that, that health de- deterioration resulting from homelessness. What is happening there? What 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 is that? Yeah, well, we did a study with Cleaner, a Cleaner New Calic in St James's uh, three years ago, yeah. where we took a cohort of individuals who um, reside in Sundial House, and Sundial House is a long term accommodation unit for people with entrenched alcohol difficulties. Yeah, and we found that the that cohort um, were prematurely aged, probably twenty to twenty five years. Faster than the general population. 20 to 25 years. So um, oh. typical 45 to 50 year old ma- uh, man or woman um, where uh, kind of uh, had, had health, the health profile of a 70 to 75 year old person. Oh. So this kind of under under underlines the need, one, that people don't stay in homelessness for a long time because the longer oh. team, time that people stay, stay in homelessness the, the, the greater the increased risk around health deterioration and actual death. Yeah. Um, and, um, and, you know, and, and women um, will die fa- faster um, than, than men in homelessness. Okay. Um, Kleena did, a, did a, a seminar for us a couple of weeks ago and, and, and quoted that um, women's average age in homelessness will, will pass away at 45. So this is a, a you know, um, one underlines that health intervention is as important as health and supply um, and housing management with regards to the homeless population who are really very, very vulnerable. And yeah. so therefore, um, services that focus on those complex needs, so dual diagnosis, um, uh, fast access to, to uh, primary care, um, primary care services that are based in the community that are focused on housing first, mm. you know, um, are, 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 are usually important. And, and could you explain that dual diagnosis piece? Yeah. So many of the individuals that um, are, who, who have entrenched homelessness difficulties have um, kind of parallel mental health difficulties. Yeah. Um, and they, 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 they might be kind of uh, long-term illnesses such as schizophrenia um, or, or uh, bipolar disorder, but that might be exacerbated by their drug and alcohol use. And it's this classical point, point, uh, perspective around uh, of what came first, you know, was it a mental health difficulty or did homelessness come first? Yeah. But it doesn't yeah. matter what, what has happened there. What is hugely important is that people do get clinical and, and uh, input with regards to that, to, to their condition. Uh, whether they have a drug and alcohol difficulty or not, the underlying mental health difficulties must be dealt with as well. So dual diagnosis is very much kind of aimed at making sure that people who have entrenched uh, substance use issues uh, and mental health difficulties are treated in an, in an effective way. And that, you know, from, from my history, takes a, a particular culture and approach coming from mainstream psychiatric services because um, in the past, there has been a reluctance from mainstream psychiatric services to intervene with people who are actively using 
Um, so yeah. the uh, either drugs and alcohol. So it's hugely important that we structure our services that that uh, we we educate um, and we we equip our mental health professionals to be able to work as well with people who are actively using. Yeah, um, as well. So, so yeah, no, that's that's really because I know listeners and myself as well, Jimmy, would you know want to know more in terms of that and and understanding that, and obviously as you say, in terms of health professionals as well and mental health professionals, and just that because that question has come up at uh, some of the debates on on social media around this mental health question and you know how much does homelessness exacerbate mental health? And I was talking to um Sharon, um, who is homeless herself in a, in living in her car at the moment in Kerry in, in last week in the podcast. Powerful, powerful. Just listening to her kind of describe the impact on her mental health and um, the detrimental impact. And um, in terms of your own experience and what you know, you, you know, how much does kind of homelessness impact on mental health and, and kind of in what ways? I think you know, Rory, listen to the people that have come on your podcast, those people with lived experience, you know, of homelessness to kind of understand. First of all, people, our experience around people who come into homelessness is that they have experienced a lot of kind of trauma. Yeah. So many people that we work with have maybe a history of, of institutional care. Um, yeah. Um, whether that be um, uh, care leavers, um, or they may come from um, domestic violence kind of situations um, yeah. or uh, child abuse situations as well. You don't have to scratch too deep with people who are in homelessness to understand that many people come in and and and, and uh, enter homelessness with that traumatic approach uh, or uh, experience and history yeah. in their lives. And uh, I was actually... With a group of uh, of of uh, service users yesterday, we're establishing a, a, a kind of a, a forum um, with, with our service users to engage with our board because we really feel that people with lived experience should have uh, a voice in how services are run and, and, and how yeah. the organisations governed. And uh, each one of them spoke about uh, spoke about trauma, spoke about the the backgrounds that they came from but also as well what being in homelessness does to an individual person you know and i can't not i cannot imagine what it must be like you know being a parent of three children and um, uh, sleeping in a car with your children or being in a tent with your children or being um uh, scrambling around looking for temporary accommodation or facing the prospect um, of eviction, how must that feel? How, how what sort of impact must that have on you as an individual person and a parent who wants to bring your children up in the best possible nurturing way? What sort of damage are we doing to uh, our generations uh, of children who are in this particular situation? And it not only extends to those people that are in temporary accommodation, but extends to those people that are in direct provision as well. Mm-hmm. We've got a group of people there who have no prospect of moving on, no prospect of moving on in the current situation. And yet, you know, we, we, we've, we've, we've worked and, and, and with people in direct provision who've been there for eight or nine years with, with children with disabilities. So, you know, we, yeah. we, we, we have, a, a, you know, a major, major challenge. And, and you, you know, 
where my uh, I was I was lucky enough to be at um uh, I'm a, a trustee in Lawrence O'Toole's primary school down in Cherf Street. And yeah, I was lucky yesterday to be at the um at the launch of the Luke Kelly um memorial coin, and President Higgins was there, and he talked about arch nature, you know, the yeah. place of the people, um, and I really am concerned of what will our communities look like in 5, 10, 15 years time because we're in a situation now where we're scrambling to build um, rightly so you know you, you know, uh, uh, we need 30,000 units per year in order to keep pace with, but you know are we putting enough thought in how our communities are going to be structured and the infrastructure that we need to be in place to deal with, um, I think, those people coming out of institutional situations, but also not to repeat the mistakes that we've made in the past um, as well. And I think and I, I, I haven't heard a lot of that discussion going on around how we're building our communities and what sort of places um, and arch and nature that we're building for people uh, kind of going forward. And, and, and that's a, a huge piece for me because... If you look at many of the people that come into are coming into homelessness, they're coming from communities that have not been supported, that haven't got the infrastructure in place, either from a health, education, preschool perspective. Um, and we need to throw the spotlight on this very, very quickly. Yeah. Very yeah. quickly. Yeah. And when you refer to the mistakes of the past, what do you mean? I think, you know, we've built communities in the past where um, we've not taken into account the needs um, of those communities and uh, around employment, around education, around uh, infrastructure, around understanding what makes a community, you know. Um, and one of the big focus that I have on, and, and, and this probably kind of, kind of goes back to the work that we're doing in direct provision and understanding where we where we're kind of going forward how do we kind of work with and assimilate new communities into into our communities into into the developments that that we will be making over the next couple of years you know what as for me what's as important as the bricks and mortar and where we put people is you know what transport links are coming from that, those communities into into city centres, into shopping centres. Um, how many preschools are going to go into that particular area? How many GPs are we going to be able to put in there? And um, uh, what drug and alcohol services that we have in place? What uh, local community infrastructure that we have around entertainment and and and, and community cohesion? Um, and and how are we going to work with making sure that? Um, we don't get into a, a, a getaway situation in the communities that 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 we are building. Um, you know, I think you're absolutely right, David. I think it's something that, you know, as you say, within the, uh, and again, in some ways, it comes back to home and what is home and how home is not just the building; it's also the community. And without the community around you, you know, you don't have home either. And that the focus on units and building units and not actually are we building homes in communities? And you're absolutely right. And what does that mean? And what does that require? And I was struck by, 
been told that uh, you know <laughs> there's regeneration of um estates going on social housing estates where they you know they knock down flats and rebuild them and destroy communities but even within them their most recent one saying that uh, there's no department that actually funds the building of a community center still and and you know what a current ongoing regeneration program uh someone involved in it told me that there's we have to sell a bit of the public land to try and fund the building of a community center and i just went are oh, you're not serious they're not still at that are they you know i we work very closely with a number of um, approved housing bodies. You know, and to be fair, you know, I think the likes of say respond and, and and circle. I think you know, I think people are absolutely realizing that, um, you know, the, 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 those services that we need in order to be able to support families and individuals absolutely have to be part of, yeah. of, of what we are building. Yeah. Um, but 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 as you say where is that funding coming from and how do you weave that into the planning and regeneration process you know because you can see a lot of the kind of the the single units that are kind of going 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 up around the place as well if if for any reason they do end up within within the social housing sector and whether that happens or not what's hugely hugely important is that the infrastructure that's within those units are actually um, you know, serve serve that population, you know, yeah. and we don't get into a situation where we get a wise people either. Yeah, absolutely. And that service, service supports and ongoing, you know, that's back to our health service and our entire, you know, welfare system in terms of health, education, you know, mental health and valuing communities, you say, and that's all, you know, and again, of course, it's, it's like, oh, where do we get the money for all this? And it's like, well, actually, if you don't, it's more expensive. Well, it is more expensive, Rory, you know, and, and you know, and, and it goes back to how are we going to stop this? How are we going to turn this tap off of people actually entering homelessness? And, and yeah. you know, again, it, you know, when it becomes a, a, a an economic issue, it, it hits the whole population. Um, but, you know, uh, once the, well, if the, if the, if the housing supply comes on, um, and um, how we are we how are we going to learn the lessons from the past to make sure that people don't enter homelessness for other reasons other than ec- economic reasons? Yeah, absolutely. And listen, David, in terms of um, I suppose the services, maybe you could just give us an outline of some of the kind of things you do yeah. as a service, as a homeless service, because I think sometimes people, you know, don't have a full understanding of what exactly homeless uh-huh. services are doing. I know. So we run t- 37 services north and south. We're in Northern Ireland as well. Yeah. Um, and we break our, our, our services into, I suppose, five pillars. Um, prevention, uh, low threshold, health and rehabilitation, um, families and children and, and housing. So, so it is as you say we design our services in order to make sure that we're not homogenized and we're using our kind of best principles to 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 be able to provide services for the particular groups that we're working with so a big focus for us will be our low threshold working right providing temporary accommodation for single people and for families um and um you know the first question that we ask anybody coming into our services what's your next step you know, where do you move on to? You know, what are your plans? How can we help you get a, a homelessness in, in, in the first place? 
So the the links with with um, housing and 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 we have a, a, a an approved housing body ourselves. That's re- relatively small at the moment, but it has been set up in order to be able to focus on those who are most vulnerable within the population. But big part of our, our our services as well is health and rehabilitation. So an example of that is that we uh, funded by the probation service we run. Uh, 15 beds for women coming out of, uh, out of uh, the docus in Mount Joy. Yeah. Um, and uh, that's very much um, can work on an early release perspective. Um, and uh, women will come and, and stay with us for maybe a six month period who are homeless. And we work with them on, on I suppose, stabilizing their, their, continue to stabilize the situation and 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 finding a long-term home for them and working on vocational issues as well so that's a a small example but also as well we we run day centers we've got a day center in Derry that works with uh rough sleepers and um and street drinkers um we run uh family uh intervention services within the community so one of the things that I'm hugely passionate about is how do we intervene within communities to stop families coming into homelessness yeah yeah the prevention work the prevention work and we've got a a number of services that's specifically focusing on getting in early uh identifying the issues um uh, um, and uh making sure that we can put that intervention and that that can be and is usually successful um and i think we need to widen those sorts of services out um, throughout the country, there are lo- local uh, authority interventions. Um, but and what that, sort of like what sort of interventions would you do that could prevent families becoming homeless in that way? I think you know, if say for instance, people are within the the, the maybe in a private rented sector situation and they've run into kind of arrears, negotiating with the with the landlord in order to be able to get a, a kind of a, pay, a repayment plan. Yeah. Um, if there are issues with regards to access uh, or family support services, we can uh, arrange family support services to come in. Obviously, food, food and energy poverty is a huge issue at the moment. Yeah. Um, and uh, being able to access, oh, access um, services in order to be able to support families, um, you know, around that whole area. So. That that little bit of a difference can 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 keep people within tenancies who are hanging on uh, by their fingertips. Yeah, yeah, and of course that that cost of living aspect, you know, that crisis, as you say, they're basic things, and I can hear the exasperation in your voice of, you know, the idea of food. You know, food you know, to be in a situation, Rory, where you're going into families and having to support them to access food banks is not something that i think we can ever be proud of as a society and supporting that, that, families to try access food banks like is that what we've come to well you know or or maybe access kind of uh, svp vouchers you know you know you know this you know essential work and you would want to do that in order to prevent somebody kind of entering of into course, temporary accommodation of course, of course. Yeah, but what a reflection of where we are. What a reflection. What a reflection. I put up a tweet the other day. You know, there's this debate going on about is the country broken or not, and I, I, 
of course, there are so many positive things happening, but I just feel there's something utterly broken when, as you say, a family needs to get support to access a food bank or they're going to be made homeless or individuals are made homeless. Like with such wealth, there is something broken. Yeah, look, I, I, I think we're, we're in a, a bit of a kind of a perfect storm at the moment, you know. I had a good degree of a real, not optimism, but, but I think, you know, during the COVID period, you, you, you had a distinct feeling that things were solvable, you know, yeah. that if we got our heads together and came up with solutions, um, and, um, you know, in a way, I think the whole population stuffing has been knocked out of it in, in the last kind of six to seven months, you know. Yeah. But I think it's up to people like me um, and, you know, who can kind of strike a degree of kind of optimism and leadership in this whole area, you know. I think, you know, we cannot give up hope for the people that we're working with, you know. We cannot do that, you know. Yeah. And, um, and you know, I, I think we have to keep battering away to kind of come up with solutions. And, you know, I'm as passionate now as I am, as I was at, at the very beginning of my career, yeah. that solutions can be found here. Um, and I think the housing supply issue is obviously key to that. I think the the the, the renewed focus on on prevention of what I've described of getting into families and getting in, working with individual individual families in in their communities is key. I think the whole area of health intervention and and it, it is key as well for those people who've entered homelessness, but also people within communities as well. Because don't forget. That those problems don't all go away when you leave homelessness. Yeah, of course. You not. know, you 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 need to be able to to support families and support individuals to be able to access local community infrastructure as well. Yeah. And, so and of course, I, I, I I I I still Rory, I, I really still feel that we have to we have to have hope. Yeah. No, I agree yeah. completely. I think you know. that like I I'm saying that so that people realize how bad it is and how that something has to radically change. And I absolutely have that hope. I share that hope with you. And I, yeah. and I believe that we will end homelessness at some point. And I think we have to. And you're, you know, we have no, you know, the obligation, if you believe in, in a society of social justice and equality, you have to keep going. You just have to. And you absolutely. And you know what? The, the generosity of spirit from people north and south to kind of respond to difficulties that are in front of them mm. you know it's immeasurable you know it really yeah. is i mean the you know people who continue despite a cost of living kind of crisis to to contribute to depaul the work that yeah. you're doing you know to kind of raise money on our behalf is a small example and you know we, we're part of a, a, a an international group and um, so um we're part, part of depaul international mm. Um, and it's, it's seven countries are, are, are part of our group, one of which is Ukraine. And, um, you know, we've been assisted by the Irish population hugely yeah. in the last six to seven months to get at not only working with Ukrainian families here, but also as well to kind of offer support to Ukraine as well on the ground. So, um, you know, we we support. Um, there was an established set of services in Ukraine, and um, that were being run before the war, and they've been adapted and and, and ran in order to be able to work with uh, internally displaced people. 
uh, and there's a hub in, in Slovakia where we deliver aid and 4.5 million uh, uh, euros of aid has been delivered from Slovakia into Ukraine uh, since the beginning of the war. So, and that's funded by, um, you know, internationally, but also as well, uh, contributions from Irish people as well. So, so we have a huge ability as a population to respond. Yeah. What absolutely. we need now is to really to, to, to maintain that energy um, and, and, and to have that vision and um, in, in, in what what we're experiencing at the moment, you know. Yeah, no, I agree completely. I think, you know, you're right, you know, to emphasize that, that, you know, we saw it during COVID, we saw the huge wave of community response um, and support and services and, you know, state services, as you said, even in terms of homelessness, but across, you know, responding to, you know, isolated, vulnerable people. And we do, you know, we give a huge amount in this country to charities and people give a huge amount of time and, you know, that humanity is there and that, you know, we do believe as a country that we strive for social justice, you know, and people, we know that proclamation that sets out to cherish all children of the nation equally, that people believe in that and they want that to be this country. Um, But we have been hit so hard. And I think that it is about trying to, as you say, keep that energy, keep that focus, keep that hope um, and show, constantly point out, look, we did it during COVID. We've done it in response to Ukraine. We can do this. You know, this is not something that's impossible. And, you know, one of the big takeaways for me from listening to talking to you was when you said in 2009, we were looking at closing down emergency accommodation and um, moving away from it. And you're going, well, that was only 11, 12 years ago. Yeah, and I firmly believe that can happen, Rory, you know. Like, I mean, our organisation is housing-led. So even though we're a major provider of temporary accommodation, I see that as a temporary situation. Yeah. I really, you know, want, you know, DePaul to be a very different organisation in 10 years' time, to have a greater emphasis on housing-led and housing-first approaches to have a greater emphasis on what we're doing within our communities and supporting families and individuals to to cope and survive in our communities. So I still, you know, if I if I look at you know where where we're going, you know, it is a it's coming back to you know a homes not hostile kind of situation, you yeah. know, and yeah. organisations like ourselves are thinking in terms of well, what will happen in 10, 15 years time. When, 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 when the supply comes on board, yeah, um, and how do we kind of make that transition to to a situation that we're in now to uh, a a new brighter situation that are based in our communities that and are housing that going forward, and I think you know keeping the imagination and the vision going in the middle of a crisis is hugely important. You know we have to envisage of you know that we're we're not consistently in a reactionary mode mm. you know uh, we um, in, the, in the next couple of weeks there will be a youth homelessness strategy delivered or, uh, and launched we've had a part to play in in, in the structuring of that and that sets out uh, and should set out a whole vision and how we deal with young people in care how we deal with those young people who are entering homelessness for the first time how do we support those young people to stop coming into homelessness um, and and how we design in our communities and our housing supply in order to be able to incorporate uh, young people into our thinking. So so 
you know, in the middle of all of this, you know, vision, imagination, energy is still hugely important. Um, and, 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 and that has to be obviously reflected in our program for government. Yeah. Well, listen, David Carroll, uh, CEO of DePaul, um, it was absolutely uh, really I'm, I'm delighted to have had you on. Um, I'm delighted to be running the marathon for DePaul. Um, and as I said earlier, people can go over to just giving forward slash Rory Hearn um, trying to reach 1,300. Uh, I'm at about 850. Um, so if you can help out um, and keep a, a shout out for me. Listen, David, it'd be great to chat to you again. Um, and best of luck with all the work it's it's really amazing work thank you so much for well thank you so much Rory and uh, thank you for everything that you're doing to bring attention to what we're facing but best of luck on uh, with the marathon as well thanks so much thanks David